0: Add a personalized touch to your greeting cards this holiday season with CardsDirect.com. Design your customized cards on CardsDirect.com slash Real Simple and save 25% off instantly at checkout. But don't wait. The holidays are just weeks away. Shop over 5,000 holiday products. Express shipping options are available. Order today. CardsDirect.com slash Real Simple. Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. A few weeks ago we did an episode about career mistakes, mistakes you make at work, and A lot of you responded well, but wanted a little more, wanted more stories like that, just like me, to encourage and inspire you that it's okay if you mess up once in a while. It's okay if you don't start out in the job that you want to be in for the rest of your life. So I've been searching for stories like that, and I came upon a story from one of my favorite artists, designers, one of the most talented people I follow, Emily McDowell. She shared a story on her blog a few weeks ago about how she originally failed in advertising, but now has a really successful in my mind, business of all of her own original artwork and products and so much more. And it shocked me to think that she ever saw herself as someone who failed. So I invited her on the show today to talk about that and talk to all of you and share her story. So let's welcome Emily. Hi. Hi. Welcome again to Adulthood Made Easy. So glad to talk to you. I know I said this off air, but I'm such a fan of your work. Well, thank you so much. I am really happy to be here. So let's start with kind of introducing you to everybody. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what exactly you do now, what your day-to-day job is now?
1: I am a writer, illustrator, and designer, and I have a company called Emily McDowell Studio, and we make greeting cards gifts, and gift products like mugs and tote bags and notepads and like little fun stuff like that. And my whole brand is about telling the truth and making people happy the greeting cards part of what i do it's what we, what i always say about my cards is that they're cards for the relationships that we actually have and not the ones that we wish we had and it's been uh, it's been just like this insane fun terrifying at times incredibly rewarding (laughs) journey uh, (laughs) the last few years. That's great.
0: I feel like you've been around forever. I I still can't believe you only started in 2013. I'm like, where did I get cards before your (laughs) shop came about? But so like we said, you started in 2013. So this was not always what you did. So so when you graduated college, like where did you think you were going to be? Where did you see your path going?
1: So I was an English major. um, And I graduated college in 1998. So Like many English majors at the time, I thought that I wanted to go to New York and work as an editor and work at a publishing house and kind of do that thing. So I ended up lining up some interviews the end of my senior year of college, and I Mm -hmm. went out to do them right before I graduated and I had like a whole plan lined up I had a place to live in New York for six months that was like with the parents of my friend and their you know, like, right was, like
0: one, it's one a of the classic, classic classic New York like, couch surfing you know, story right, exactly and right. so
1: I had that kind of setup and but so I went out and they were like, you know when I did these interviews that were lovely and all of the the people that I interviewed with said, well you know, yeah like we would love to have you at this job the pay is seventeen thousand dollars a year and <laughs> And I was like, well, how do you do that? Like, how is that a thing? And, you know, they sort of 201, I think it was three different interviews at, you know, Penguin Putnam and the the big houses. And they all said, well, you know, these editorial assistant jobs are so coveted. And there's so many people applying for this who are so qualified that, like, basically what we do is don't pay anyone. And then the people who really want it either get subsidized by their family or they figure out how to take a job waiting tables at night and make it work. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not going to get subsidized by my family. That's not an option. I don't know that I want to wait tables at night. I just didn't see that reality. Like, I was like, oh, this thing that I totally thought I was going to do, I don't think I'm going to do that now. Right. So I really <laughs> was like, I came back from that trip and was like, shit, like, I'm not going to move to New York. I don't have a plan. I was graduating college in a week. A friend of mine who was not a close friend during school, like, you know, a sort of friend-ish during school was like, hey, like, well, I'm moving to Idaho to work as a concierge at my, you know, at a luxury inn that's run by my sister and sister's in-laws and my best friend from high school was supposed to come with me, and she just bailed. So there's this job open if you want it, and I was like, "Sure." I have no idea what what I'm doing. So you know, I did that, and I was there for like four months. Hated it. Ended up moving home, which was Boston. Living there for a year, working as a paralegal. I thought like, "Well, maybe I want to go to law school." Um, <laughs> learned that I didn't want to go to law school. Didn't want to be paralegal. And then uh, in '99, I ended up moving out to San Francisco. With my boyfriend at the time, with no plan, no job. And I got a job. I started temping and I got this job through my temp agency as being a marketing person for a company called The Industry Standard, which Ended up going under, but it was a magazine.
0: So you've done a ton. (laughs) It's been a, it's been a winding path. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I mean, right, exactly. I've had like twenty-seven jobs.
0: So you wrote in your blog post, you were like, I had forty-three different jobs, and now I'm starting to see like that wasn't really that much of an exaggeration. Like you were being pretty honest.
1: (laughs) Exactly, I did so many things, and I get this question kind of a lot. For people, and it's a lot of women, women, especially in their early 20s, who email me and say, oh, my God, like, I'm kind of freaking out. Should I go to art school? Like, what should I do? How do I how do I set myself up for success later? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my answer is like, the good news is you kind of just do what you do what seems like a good idea at the time. And don't worry so much about what's going to happen later. Yeah, everything that you do, is going to ultimately inform the thing once you figure out what you really want to do. Everything that you do up until that point is going to be helpful and informative. You know? That's a
0: great a great way to look at it. And that was one of the big takeaways I, t- I took from this this post you wrote about failing and not failing and what kind of failure means to you. And what you say is that one of your biggest adult, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, failures is was working in advertising. And, you know, you graduated this portfolio school. And at 26, you went into advertising and you know you won all these scholarships in school and awards and did so well. And then the real world was totally different. And I think a lot of people in their early 20s feel similarly that in school you get your A's on papers and you get your awards and you get to be president of a club and then in the real world those types of accolades don't come as easily. So can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like?
1: I really thought advertising was going to be like my thing that I did forever. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited when I started looking for this was 2004. I went out, you know, armed with my award-winning junior portfolio and I had a ton of interest from agencies and I wanted to work on the West Coast and wanted to go back to San Francisco, which is my favorite city that I had lived in. And so sort of narrowed my search there. And it seemed like, oh, like so many people were interested. The world was my oyster. I could kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, my partner and I ended up getting a job right away at an agency that we were really excited about. And I think that the thing that was the thing that was the biggest disconnect that I don't think this was an ad school. Specific, but I think that this is probably applicable to a lot of school experiences. Is they teach you the skills that you need to do the thing, but they don't teach you so much about the fact that doing the thing. itself is a lot, is going to be really different. You're going to have much fewer, you're going to have a lot fewer opportunities. You're going to have a lot fewer, you know, like the real world of advertising compared to ad school was just kind of like night and day. Cause ad school, you could kind of like make up your assignments and do whatever. Right. And like, you, you know, think of this thing. And it was so fun.
0: And there aren't real consequences at school. No, like that, you know, if, if, right. If it doesn't work out, no, no business is hurt. <laughs>
1: right. No big deal. And, you know, so it was it was definitely learn. it was definitely learning really early on that you couldn't be attached to a specific ideas that like, you know, 99% of what you came up with was not going to get made mm-hmm. and was not. And I think, I think that the biggest problem with ad school was that they didn't prepare you for what happens when a client kills your work and you have to go back sort of over and over and over and keep hammering on the same assignment. And I think that like, like if I were to teach an ad school class, I would make them work on the same thing all quarter and just kill their idea every week and make them redo it. Because that, <laughs> that's like because honestly, like keeping the excitement and the momentum going after someone has like destroyed every, you know, your nights and weekends and whatever for the last two months is that's the hardest part in a way, you know, but honestly, I think that I really did enjoy what I did for a few years. It was really long hours. It was you know, nights and weekends and holidays. And that's no secret kind of going into advertising as a creative, you know that that's what's going to be expected of you. And that was fine. And I loved the people I worked for my first job. I, I still have some really good friends to this day from that job. And, you know, it was the agency was fun. Like, there were some really, really great things about it. But I think that sort of as time went on, I really had expected to be like rising to the top of the field and getting all these promotions, and you know, my school experience and my my what I had come to expect based on my performance at school totally did not pan out. And I think, it totally
0: you know, like skews book, you.
1: No, it didn't. And my portfolio was never as good as it was when I was like a junior with no experience. You know, like that yeah. was the, that was the peak of my portfolio. Like it didn't. My book didn't get better after that. And it was a combination of things. I mean, it was like. You know, I'd go somewhere to work for someone and then that person would leave two months later and then the new creative director would come and they wouldn't be into me because I was part of the old person's thing, you know, and they would bring in their other, their new people, um, which happens a lot. Or like, I think it was probably like part circumstance and part me just not being the right fit for the for the job. Mm-hmm. And it took me a really long time to wrap my head around that and to understand that that was the truth.
0: And I think that, I think, and I talk to my friends about this a lot, that there's such a pressure, especially in your 20s, especially now, to be part of the 30 under 30, to be on the oh fast God, track, yeah, to be, like, totally. moving up the ladder.
1: For sure. And, you know, and I, like, and I felt like I came late to the game. Anyway, like, I was 26, I guess, when I started mm-hmm. advertising and Almost everyone that I was with came directly from undergrad, like knew what they wanted to do in undergrad and then went immediately into this portfolio program. And so they were getting out of portfolio school and having their first job ever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I felt like I was I was trying to catch up. And so I totally get that. And, you know, I'm like joking now, like that I'll maybe make some like 60 under 60 list. I would have turned 40 <laughs> this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that the thing is, Like, you can only be so smart at 25. Yeah. Even if you are, like, the world's most brilliant, brilliant, amazing person. And you make, like, you know, some crazy 20 under 20 list and you are, like, you know, like, Forbes (laughs) whatever cover of Forge magazine. You're still 25. And so you've only had 25 years on this planet in order to, like – of experiences of like having experiences and making decisions and seeing the outcomes of those decisions. Like I honestly think the the older I get, the more I really understand. And this sounds so like cliche, like this old lady being like, but it's totally true that the older I get and the more experiences I have, the more I understand how those experiences inform what we do going forward. And that there's some kinds of knowledge that you can't get just by like being super good at your job or by being you know, graduating from Harvard or doing whatever. And, you know, what I'm doing now, I could never have done it so successfully had I not had my career in advertising first. No way. Right.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit. So so what was the tipping point that you finally were like, because I think people love to know kind of what, what that trigger is that you were you said to yourself I need out of advertising I have to kind of accept that this is not the right path for me and I need to go a different way. What do you remember was it a day? Was it a meeting? Was it do you remember um, what kind of tipped you?
1: It had been leaning that way for a while and I had been, you know, and I'd been telling myself like it's just it's this agency, it's this account, it's the, you know, like all of these external mm-hmm. things like that. It totally wasn't. It was me. And there were a couple things that happened. One was one of my best friends, my college roommate, passed away in 2011 after a three-month illness. She was she had was diagnosed mm-hmm. with cancer and and died three months later, and that was really a, like a t- sort of take stock time for me when I really took a look at my life and what I was doing, and you know she was somebody who really lived her purpose and was really on a path that she totally believed in. And I was like, you know, I can't, this is not true for me. And I don't know that I should be doing this. And then the other thing was that I finally, I got promoted to the the thing that I had been working towards for, you know, eight years at that point being a creative director. And I sort of looked around and was like, you know, this is what I thought I wanted eight years ago. But, I don't know if I want this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, the place where I thought I wanted to be and the thing that I'd been like sort of striving towards and the ladder that i have been climbing, I was like, shit, have I been climbing the wrong ladder this whole time? (laughs) Like I've been climbing a ladder, but was it the right ladder? Right. And so it was kind of those two things happening around the same time that made me decide, you know, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Like I had no clue, but I just thought, I kind of owe it to myself to f- try to figure it out. And so one of the things that's kind of nice about advertising is that you can freelance pretty easily, especially once you research a certain level, you can freelance. There's They always need, agencies will always need you for two weeks here or there once people go on vacation or for new business pitches or something. And so I quit my job and I freelanced and I ended up freelancing for about a year and a half while I was figuring out what I actually wanted to do. And that was great in that I could work less, do my thing on the side and save money at the same time so that I had a little bit of money to live on while I while I ended up starting what was the greeting card line in 2013.
0: We'll be right back with Emily to talk about how social media makes failures even worse. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by CardsDirect.com you know what's coming. The holidays are only weeks away, and before you're busy with gifts and parties, it's time to order your personalized greeting cards. CardsDirect.com provides custom holiday cards for both businesses and families, so you can send something truly unique this Christmas. Shop over 5,000 holiday products. They make it easy to order and offer express shipping options. Right now, Adulthood Made Easy listeners will receive an exclusive 25% off automatically this season when they visit CardsDirect.com slash Real Order today and tell them that we sent you. CardsDirect.com slash Real One question I wanted to ask, and because part of your greeting card line, there are things, I mean, one of my favorite things you've illustrated is you're saying, I will not compare myself to people on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and I know that it might not have been as, you know, integrated into your life when you were 26. But for us today, I feel like anytime you feel yourself a failure, something in there is really intertwined or triggered by something you saw on social media or something your friend is doing on social media. So what what do you think about that and, and how social media kind of exacerbates what we see as our own failures.
1: I, you know, I think social media, like, I have a super love-hate relationship with it. I think that- Same, um,
0: totally same. You
1: know, in some ways, like, I couldn't do what I'm doing now if it weren't for social media. Social media has been how my brand has spread. Social media is how people find me. You know, but at the same time, like, social media is a freaking lie. And, (laughs) And, like, nobody's life looks like that. And, you know, there's some saying about, like, that you can't compare your real life to someone else's highlight reel. And I Mm -hmm. think that you have to look at social media as like a trailer for someone's life. Like you can't look at it as like, this is the reality of X, Y, Z person who I don't know. And one of the things that I actually try to do on my social media is like on Instagram is my primary social media that I use. But um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I try to do is not like, (laughs) like I, I go against every, and this this started out not being a strategy, but it's kind of turned into what I like to do, which is like, I don't do those like composed, like beautiful shots of my coffee or like my art or my like golden stapler on my desk or whatever. Like I kind of, I think that it's important to show like what my life actually looks like. And sometimes it's like, this is a disaster pile of papers that I can't even find my computer in, you know, or like sometimes like, I sort of unfollowed everybody on Instagram that makes me feel bad. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) And I think
1: that that's like, I think that that's a thing that I didn't really think about or like realize that I could do that for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I would just look at Instagram and end up feeling like shit and then be like, oh, like, I guess I'm, you know, kind of lame. And then Mm -hmm. I realized like, you know, I can totally control this. Like, I don't have to look at those accounts. I can just unfollow all those people. And it was really liberating to just be like, no, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. When, I, when I started my card line, it was really important to me to not be influenced by what other people were doing because I really wanted to do something that was really different. And so I didn't look at Pinterest like at all. When oh my I was developing gosh, it.
0: that actually really surprises me because I feel like that's such a source of inspiration for the type of industry you're in. Like the biggest It mugs totally and is. The and prints. that's why I
1: didn't that's why I didn't do it. Was because crazy. I, I, there's a lot of sameness in stationery and yeah. people I think are influenced by a lot of the same things. And I was like, I wanna just stay away from this. And so I don't and I don't look at Pinterest even now. I I, I use it every once in a while for I bought a house recently and like we're trying to figure out what to do with the backyard. And that's the mm-hmm. only thing I use it for. But every time I go on it, it makes me feel depressed. And I it's so interesting. Like, it makes me, and this is going to make me, I'm going to sound old, but it makes me nostalgic for a time when, like, not every single idea in the world was available and accessible to all of humanity. Like, it mm-hmm. makes me, like, it, it's overwhelming to me. And I think that in some ways, like, it would have made my job as an art director so much easier in terms of, like, mood boards and creating, you know, making things right. to show clients for an inspiration, all that stuff. Like, totally, it's, like, an awesome tool but yeah. I, I work, like, I think it's really important when you are a creative to make sure that your influence isn't coming from the same place as everyone else's influence. Because yeah. then it's going to, you know, then your brand's not going to stand out. And so I made, like, that's very deliberate choice to not look at
0: Pinterest. I think that's something that so many of us could benefit from. And and I feel similarly to you that you said, you know, Instagram is pretty, and social media is pretty crucial to your, your job and your business. And I mean, I... I'm the social media editor at 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 simple.com. So I really can't avoid being on Facebook, being on Instagram, being on Twitter all day. And it's like it's a matter of all of us figuring out a way to unplug so that when we don't make the 30 under 30 list, but someone we know does, it doesn't get to us as much or, you know, because someone else is Instagramming this great conference they got to go at and you're just like, wow, I went to, I did my laundry today and that's about it. (laughs) And, you know, you don't have to have that. I mean, do you think it would have made, made your time, your transition from advertising a lot harder if social media had been what it is now?
1: I actually don't know. That's a super good question. I think that in some ways it would have made it harder because I would have been more, likely to come, you know, I would have fallen into the comparison vortex. But I think in some ways, it would have made it easier because the other thing that it does is it shows you how many different ways there are to make a living.
0: That's true. It's such a double-edged sword. I can't decide if I like it or dislike it. Every I day I have a different opinion about it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I can't get it straight. So the the happy ending is that you do now have, like you said, Emily McDowell Studios. And it seems, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like it's going really well. Um, you have wonderful design products. But like you mentioned earlier, every job you've had lends some experience to what you're doing now. For sure. And It's kind of, you know, advertising, it makes sense why it would lead to it. But I wanted to ask you a couple other jobs that you had, how, you know, what from that experience
1: informs
0: your work ethic today. So the first one I want to ask about is, we'll start easy. We'll start with when you were a paralegal, what from being a paralegal helps you today?
1: Well, um, I think, honestly, the biggest thing about being a paralegal was that it taught me the kind of environment that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to be in a place where I had to wear pantyhose every day. Um, I didn't <laughs> want – I wanted – That's fair. I needed something that was more creative. I needed something that was, like, it really – I do have what it, it – but it taught me that I could do that stuff. And I think that, I th- like, I can do the analytical side. And I think that that actually – was a good lesson for what I do now, because I'm the CEO of my company, I don't have a business partner. And I don't have an MBA, I don't have a business background. And so like, I mean, honestly, the last time I did math was like 11th grade, I didn't, you know, I didn't even take (laughs) math in college. So I, you know, I kind of had to go back and like relearn like basic like algebra to try to figure out like, margins and ratios and like things like that, that I was like, Oh, God, like, I think I'm trying to remember how to do this. Um, No, that's good. But being a paralegal, it taught me that I had the skills to be to do something that was analytical and to Great. do something that wasn't necessarily creative.
0: Okay. So my next one, I'm going to see if I can make them get harder and harder. Okay. So we'll start. Okay. So next one we'll do being a hotel concierge. What has that led to?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's led to, it was another one where, and I, honestly, I think also so much of having different jobs and just different experiences in life. This is dating too, right? Is narrowing down what you don't want in order to figure out what you actually want. And concierge, I learned that the customer service aspect of that job, I hated it. Like, and I wasn't good (laughs) at it. And it's one reason that I don't do, I get a lot of questions and requests for custom work and to do wedding invitations and to like do a lot of that stuff. And there are people who have stationery companies who are making, you know, tons of money doing wedding invitations and I don't do them. And one of the reasons I don't do them is because I know that that kind of stuff drives me nuts and I'm not good at, I'm not good at the service aspect of it.
0: It also just sounds like and. A lot of this comes, and I think it speaks to what you said earlier about life experience, that knowing yourself and knowing, someone gave me this advice earlier, knowing what you don't want is just as important as knowing what you do want. And sometimes knowing what you don't like or don't want or aren't good at or aren't comfortable with helps narrow things down.
1: It really does. I mean, that's what uh, so much of my job experience and and dating experience and sort of everything (laughs) was about finding out, like, nope, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. And you ultimately... You know whether whether it's whether it's learning what you don't want in order to get to what you want, or le- or getting to, a, or doing stuff that you are like, I love this, I want more of this. Ultimately, it mm-hmm. gets you to the same place.
0: And my last one, and you will also have to explain to me what this is. What did you learn from being a duty free wine specialist? Oh my god! <laughs> Even though you say don't ask me what that is, I have to ask, <laughs> or at like, least like a sort of was, what it is. It was
1: another temp agency. It was actually my first temp agency placement job in San Francisco that I sort of, I only did it for like four months. It was really, I, God, I was really bad at it. It was the first job that I'd ever had where I like sucked at it Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get it right. Like, and I, (laughs) I really tried and I couldn't. Is it like
0: in an airport or? No, no, no. no. It was
1: in, okay. You know, the, you know, duty-free shops and airports. There's like, a lot of them are the same Brand there, it's like DFS yes. duty free shops, right? And it's like okay. a little red circle. So it was that company, and I worked in the division of that company. Like, so a huge part of what they do is wine and booze distributed in airports all over the world. So I worked sort of helping. I wasn't in the. I wasn't a buyer, but I was basically like an organizer of information. So like sales information and data and like taking all of the sales stuff from the stores and putting it together into spreadsheets and reports to try to inform the buyers about what to do. I don't even know. It was seriously like I was a temp and I got like sort of put into this job and they liked me enough to hire me. And then I was so bad at it (laughs) And I was like, what am I doing in this job? Like, there are so many other jobs, but I was like, you know, 22 and I, and, and it took me a few months to be like, wait, there are so many other jobs that I could be good at. And this is not Mm -hmm. one of them. And that was, and that was like, that was a good one in that it taught me that there are things that I do suck at. And there are things that like, I, I hate doing and that, you know, as much as it was sort of the, it was sort of like. I learned being a paralegal that I could do the analytical side, but then this like pushed it too far and was like, "Nope, OK, like, yeah, I can do analytical strategy. This, if it comes up in my life again, I will need to give this to someone else. <laughs>
0: <Not> <laughs> that's I this. mean, yeah. knowing what to delegate. That's an important thing to know. Totally. totally. So all of those fun jobs and your advertising job led you to be the seat, C- like you said, the CEO of your own company. What is your absolute favorite part of owning your own company and running your own company.
1: It is incredibly rewarding in a way that no other job I've ever had has been because it's my successes and my, you know, and my failures, but like, it's my, you know, I am ultimately the one making all the decisions. And so when something Mm -hmm. is successful or when people really respond to something that I created, I, you know, that's incredibly rewarding to me, building a team and building a company and seeing how my employees work together, super rewarding, just being the fact that i not now I'm saying a million things are my favorite but they're just like
0: <laughs> the No, that that mean I mean owning your own I company to, it's great.
1: <laughs> that I get to control what gets made. You know, I think in advertising the money was it was always someone else's money so it was, ultimately it was the client. You know, if your creative director didn't kill your work, your client always had the opportunity to because it was their money ultimately and you were trying to achieve an objective for them. And this is trying to achieve an objective for me. And so I get to decide what's good and what's not good. And sometimes something I think is good doesn't sell, and that's fine, and that's life, and it happens. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's super rewarding to have an idea, know when I have it, like, yeah, this is going to work. A lot of people are going to re- resonate with this. This is going to help a lot of people, you know, have a conversation or like, Have a better Valentine's Day, or just whatever you know, like and you're so right. And and then see the and then see the response has been that's that part is awesome.
0: And if you, I feel like there are a lot of people my age who the the germs of ideas are just starting of like, you know, this is what I really want to do, and oh, wouldn't it be great if I could have a company like this, and wouldn't it be great if something? And what would be your your one piece of of advice to someone who's thinking about? going off on their own and starting their own company, whether it's, you know, starting their own firm or starting their own greeting card business?
1: Um, honestly, in in some ways, I think that ignorance is your friend. I think that okay. there's no other time before you know too much about the industry that you want to get into. And this is kind of like, this is the opposite of advice of a lot, what a lot of people give. But I think that, for example, if I had walked the stationary show, the stationary show is this giant, Wholesale, you know, stationary show at the at the Javits Center that's only open to the trade, and it's where if you're going to launch a stationary line, it's where you go and do that. And it is thousands of booths of people selling stationary to stores. And I had never been to it before when I showed up with my line to launch it for the first time. And if I if I had been to it and I had walked around, I think I would have psyched myself out and not done it. I think that I would have told myself while I was walking around you know, there's so many people already doing this. Like there's no room for me here. You know, like why are people going to buy anything I make look at all of these like thousands of people who are already doing this? Like, what can I yeah. offer? And I think that I would have sort of psyched myself out and not done it. And I think that in some, I mean, educate yourself about what you're doing, but in some ways, I think that not knowing can be an asset. Because you know you don't know what you're you don't even know what to be afraid of.
0: That right there is not even knowing what to be afraid of is great advice. I think that some of that also comes with your earlier advice about kind of unplugging and stepping back from social media and not worrying about what someone else is creating and doing on Pinterest or on Instagram and just creating what you want, it sounds like is also the message there.
1: For sure. For sure. I think just having faith in your own ideas is is a really big part of a kind of anything.
0: I think your your cards and your mugs and everything you do really does resonate with people. I mean, you have such a specific voice that I don't see in the Hallmark aisle or anything like that. But when did you realize that your products were really resonating with a group that was larger than just your, your close family and friends?
1: Well, what happened was I had an Etsy store that I opened in 2011 while I was freelancing. Um, before this was so, this was before I launched. What is my company? Um, okay. And I was selling illustrated prints on the side, and I started thinking of ideas for cards, and was like, I don't know how to make money selling cards. Like you have to sell a lot of cards, you know. Like I mean, it was I was really <laughs> yeah. stuck in that sort of like I don't know. But then I had this idea for a Valentine card for the person that you are kind of dating but not really. Like it's that long. Oh, I love that one. It's like yeah. And I was like, you know, this is so true of so many relationships. Like, basically, like, I would say half of relationships, especially when you're like in your 20s, are like, sort of, you end up being like, oh, it's weird if I don't give someone, give someone a card or whatever on Valentine's Day, but like, I don't know if we're like really that together. So if you get them a normal <laughs> exactly. card, then that's weird. So like usually you give them a card and then are like, hey, you give them kind of speech. Like this isn't that big of a deal, but like here you go. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, it'd be funny if I made a card that was just that speech because I think that that would really like connect with people. And yeah. I, I made like – I had like 100 printed at a local printer, put them in my Etsy store, and then Etsy actually put it on their Facebook page and it went super viral. Yeah. And I ended up selling like 1,700 of that card in a week before I had to shut down shipping so that people could get their stuff in time for Valentine's Day. And it was like, oh, my God, like there is – I think that there is an opportunity here to do something that's different and to do something that's going to resonate with people.
0: And and you have your those empathy cards out now that I think I really, really exemplify that.
1: I do. And that was another thing, too, where I felt, you know, I really feel with my brand, I really feel like I want to do things that are different. And I want to do things that solve problems. And one of the things that, you know, both when when I was sick, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma um, when I was 24. And, you know, you get a lot of like, weird get well soon cards and sympathy cards and stuff. But like nothing that really resonated with me when I was sick and people really have a hard time, so hard talking about illness um, and loss and grief and like all those hard things. Like we don't really know what to say and we don't get taught what to say in our culture. And so a lot of times people bail or people just like say weird things that they think they're supposed to say, but that end up being super unhelpful. And so I created this line of cards that are called empathy cards that are mm-hmm. um, designed for people who are going through a really shitty time, whether it's illness or or grief or just kind of any crap thing in general. Mm -hmm. And we actually have seven more that are coming out on Monday that are launching our website on Monday. Yeah. And we launched the the first batch in May and they went insanely viral. They
0: they were were awesome.
1: Yeah. Like I ended up on Good Morning America and like, you know, NBC Nightly News and all over the place, NPR talking about them. And, you know, they, they resonated with people in a way that I to a level that I never could have predicted.
0: Yeah, I mean, those cards really were so beautiful, and and I really, I loved them. My oh, favorite was you. the one that was, um, I'm going to get the wording wrong, but it was something like, let me be the first person to punch anyone in the face who says that everything happens for a reason. And I was yes. just like, that yes. is so great. <laughs> I loved those.
1: Well, thank you.
0: And we should say that everyone can find your designs and all of your products at emilymcdowell.com. Yep. And... I just want to thank you again for your time today. I'm so glad I finally got the chance to put a voice to all of the great products that I've always, I've always loved. And, and thank you for sharing your story and all of your thank experiences. You so much. Yeah, I thank really you for appreciate. Having me. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate your advice. Well, thanks again. That was Emily McDowell of Emily McDowell Studio, and you can find all of her products and designs at emilymcdowell.com. And depending on when you're listening, those new empathy cards she was talking about may already be out. Thanks to all of you for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at Sam Zabel and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel and our engineer, Zach Dinerstein, and remind you that if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review on iTunes. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll have more answers next time.